Well, good morning. Wow, you're right there. It's pretty weak this morning, right? No, good morning, everyone. And if it is, this is your second time here, and last Sunday was your first time. You came on a great Sunday, so this may not be as, as uh, wow as it was last Sunday after or Sunday morning. And I'm just so thankful for the 11 that was baptized. It was an exciting morning. It was an awesome day. So, uh, yeah, if everything's compared to that, we may be in trouble here. So, so we'll see where we go. But uh, breaking the huddle. Now, obviously, football season has been upon us. Some of our seasons are already over. If you're a Razorback or Raider fan like I am, it just started already over. But otherwise, it feels like that anyway. But breaking the huddle, and the concept behind that for us today is over the last few months, we've talked about our values. In the month of August, we talked about transformation, to make room. Last month, we were B, right? Uh, a lot of Bs, but about community. This month, we're starting a series on mercy. It is our third value. If you know a little bit about renovation, know a little bit about what we talk about here. But breaking the huddle is this thought. It is really easy for churches in general. It could be easy for us, a lot of churches, to become very ingrown, to talk about a lot of things, to talk about how we are going to get better, how we are going to take care of each other. And if we're not careful, there will be a point where that becomes dysfunctional because <laughs> that's all you do. You talk about me being changed and me being better, which we need to become more like Christ. We talk about how we take care of each other, which scripturally that is true. We're supposed to do that. But there is a part of this that's told us to what? Go. Take it to the streets. We started to do that, but I was afraid too many doobie, doobie brother fans in here and it'd get kind of lost and you'd feel sacrilegious, so we're not going to do that. Some of you will get that later. Or, ne or never, maybe. I don't know. Jesus is very clear at the end of Matthew. All the authority in heaven and earth has been given unto me. Therefore, go. And you've heard this probably many times. What's the Greek for go? Go. <laughs> so I get all the translations you want. It's still going to be that, right? But it's to go. To go and make disciples. Baptizing them. We've done that. Name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them the things I have taught you, teaching them all the authority. So no fear here. All the authority has been given unto me to send you. So go. This next month, we'll be talking a lot about that. But this morning, I want to talk a little bit about what happens, I think, to each individual believer, but it also happens, I think, as couples, I think it happens as families, it happens as, as communities of believers, where God begins, God exposes you to something that just grabs your heart. I mean, it grabs your heart. You, you can't get away from it. It could be first, for some of you, maybe in a movie or watching the news. It, it could be something almost as innocent to other people going, how, why would, why, why would you want to go do that? 
But for you, it's very clear. Now, not all the details are clear. How we say often here, right? Often we commit without details. Often we just know God has said something and we begin to lean into it and walk it without all the details. We, we make major decisions in our lives, huge commitments without all the details. We talk about it all the time, marriage being probably the first one. We don't have all the details. But we just know and we're just prompted and we just sense it that this is what we are supposed to do. Shared with you many times here, if you're the first time, uh, I appreciate you because you're here for the first time, right? Others are going, okay. Jan and I in 1990 in Chicago, coming out of Old Comiskey Park. Last year it was in, in a baseball, it's a baseball park. It has been around since Babe Ruth. I remember sitting in right field just there in 1990 looking out there and going, there's like, like, like 10 coats of paint on the whole stadium. I mean, it's like crazy looking. But I'm thinking, and I was in the right field line and going, Babe Ruth, he stood right there. Is you a baseball fan and a baseball historian on top of that in some ways back then, more than I am now, but it was a big deal. But I didn't know walking out of there that Jan and I were going to walk by this, this young man who had burns all over him. Had a, his hand was, was missing here and he just had a bucket on his arm and was just hanging there. And I didn't know that Jan and I both at the same time were going to walk 10, 15, 20, 30 paces away and all of a sudden we'd look at each other and tears would be rolling down our eyes. Now today it's common for most of us to see people either on the street corner or just, we're almost anywhere you go almost, you see people who are asking for something. We didn't see that that much in 1990, especially in Texarkana, Texas and Arkansas. You just didn't see it. So they did grab us a little bit, but it was more than that. God had laid something on our hearts. But we didn't know what to do with it. And that's how, and I'll shorten this here, that's how we ended up at Friendly Chapel. Many of you know, that's how we ended up meeting Paul Sr., uh, uh, Paul Holderfield Sr., and Sister Barbara, and I've shared that back in Transformation, how it changed our lives. But we were exposed and we couldn't get away from it. We didn't even know really what we were exposed to. There were thousands of people walking by that young man. My guess is Jan and I may be the only two that walked down the street and turned and had tears rolled out of us. That's my guess. But I don't know. So God grabs us. But why does he grab us? Why does he tug on us? Why does he pull on us? One, I would just say, and we're going to read some scripture here in just a minute. I'm just not going to pontificate here. But, but one of the reasons is he sees something not only needs to change there, he sees something in you. See, God just doesn't stir you. He just doesn't prompt you because he wants to aggravate you. He doesn't do that to make you fearful without any safety net. No, he sees something in you, so he prompts you. That should make you smile just a little bit. That God sees something in me, so he would put something on my heart to do something about it. So mercy This definition here is one we've, I've used for many years. I was, when I was at Crossroads Nazarene Church in Chandler, 
Uh, I was over what we called the Mercy Project. It's basically what we call it here too. But this is the definition we used then. I still, since I was a part of helping write it, it still sticks with me. It says, we believe the church is God's ongoing presence in the world. Our hearts should break for what breaks the heart of God. Compelling us to fight injustice and to serve others compassionately. Whatever's breaking God's heart should be breaking our heart. And there should be this compelling that I can't sit by, I can't stand by and not do something about this. Here's the good thing though, right? Not every church is supposed to do all the things. Any social thing that you see, not every church is going to do every one of them unless you're a massive church, and I think there's still limitations to that, but especially a church our size, there may be limitations to all the social justice things that may be brought to us that we very well may have to uh, say, Lord, who have you brought here? Who have you brought here with this passion in their heart and this, this drive in their heart, this discontent in their heart? Who have you brought here to have the gifts and graces to help us pull this off for the glory of God? Because one of the dangerous things is just chasing a lot of different things, not doing it even well and not being prepared on how to do it. But one of the big things I'll say about what we try to do here, and I want to be careful about it, is one of the dangers that churches have done over the last 30 or 40 years, I see dangers, concerns I have, is that we've made mercy and missions more of a corporate act than an individual act. It should be a corporate act. But we all should live with mercy and justice. We all should live every day with that. One of the dangerous things the church has done over the last 30 or 40 years because we hire a lot of staff, that staff needs something to do, they need to be in charge of something, and we got a lot of staff here, not us, I'm talking about other churches that do this, okay, not us. But if you're not careful, you got to give those staff a job description, and if you're not careful, they got to be in charge of something, and if you're not careful, you end up making this about us putting it together instead of you living that way. we got to be really careful with that. That's the reason why in our vision statement here at Renovation, I don't have it up on the screen, but the reason our vision statement is very clear, not only to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation, to be salt and light where you're engaged and influential. Not because, oh, the church, if I can just go to the church, we'll put something together and go somewhere. We may do that. I hope we do that. But our intent here at Renovation, our vision is, is that we have a bunch of you going wherever a bunch of you go and being salt and light right there. I'll never go there. I won't know what to do there. I'll never have the influence you've got. I'll never be exposed to the people you're exposed to. So just getting me to say, hey, if I can get Pastor Kurt and get Pastor Brandon and Al, Pastor Ali, if we can make some mission trips and get, get the preaching right, then, then I'll get these people. No, God calls you to be salt and light where you are engaged in the future. I'm not going to parent your kids. I'd say that would be the first place. Be salt and light right there where you're most engaged and influential. So how do we do that? Well, we're going to look at Scripture. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 9. 
verses 35 through 38. And while you're, if you're turning there or you're getting your, your device there, one of the things I just want to say that I love about being a part of the Church of the Nazarene, and I know there's downsides to being a part of a larger, you know, you can go from a movement to an institution. <laughs> and so we've got to be always careful and fight that because institutions protect themselves, movements just risk everything. I want to be a part of a movement, but one of the things I love about the Church of the Nazarene, when it was originally started, right now we're in 165 world areas. I mean, we're missions, hospitals, clinics, uh, schools all around the world. That's what you're a part of. When you give here, as Brandon's already talked about, one of the things you give to is, is making sure the gospel is spread and the care for Nazarene Compassionate Ministries around the world. But I love what the, the first Church of the Nazarene's vision and mission statement was. We seek the simplicity and the Pentecostal power of the primitive New Testament church. The field of labor to which we feel especially called is in the neglected quarters of the cities and wherever else may be found waste places and souls seeking pardon and cleansing from sin. This work we aim to do through the agency of city missions, evangelistic services, house-to-house visitation, caring for the poor, comforting the dying. To this end, we strive personally to walk with God, and I love this, and to insight to stir, encourage, and urge on, and stimulate or prompt to to action others to do so. My life, your life, is prompting other people to do the same thing. And out of our heritage, the Wesleyan heritage, Wesleyan Wilberforce and abolishing slavery, to women's rights, Good place to be. Good place to be. Matthew 9, 35. 37, actually, I think I have 38. That's okay. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus went. He saw. He had compassion. Jesus went. He saw. He was moved. Went. Go. Expose yourself again in small and significant, sometimes even larger ways to the things that you think may be on God's heart. Yeah, when was the last time you sat down and said, and again, I'm, I don't remember the last time I did, so I'm going to ask a question here that I can't answer either. That you just really sat down and just as said, God, could you give me the top five things that, that are on your heart right now around me that I'm exposed to? What are five things that are going? What's one thing, God, that's on your heart right now that I actually am exposed to also? I just don't see it. But to begin to ask God to expose to you what he sees around you. What's breaking his heart or maybe even makes him angry the injustice. You know, for me, 
getting into youth ministry. I, I never imagined that I would be leading students. Never even crossed my mind that that I knew I was called to preach, but that that's a whole different deal than thinking, hey, I'm going to be a youth pastor. But until I was exposed to it, simply by going and helping another youth pastor uh, that I was a part of the church as a volunteer, just to kind of help corral about 20, 25 kids. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't interested in it. I just didn't want to go to, and I hate to say it this way, I didn't go to, I want to go to the Wednesday night Bible study with the adults. Just to be honest, it was boring. <laughs> this is what it was. So I started going, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to do that. So I started not going on Wednesday night. He said, hey, hey, won't you come back here? And he and I were already friends playing ball together. He said, you come back here and help me corral these guys. Before I knew it, Six months, nine months later, he asked me to preach a retreat for them. I'd never preached three sermons in in a 24-hour period in my life. You know, it took me a long time to get one together because of all the throwing up and everything that went on with it. It was way too much effort, okay, way too much. And so I just wouldn't do it. But I left, I knew when I left that Saturday night, from Friday night to Saturday, we drove back to Texarkana. I knew God had put something on my heart. I had to be exposed. I had to take a risk. I didn't know in 1992, after meeting Brother Paul in 1990, when I went into ministry full-time, Jan and I went in full-time. I didn't know. We just felt like, hey, let's go on a mission trip. Again, I've said this before. We went to Mexico, and no, nobody, on 35, 30, 35 of us, nobody had ever been on a mission trip before that went, and nobody had ever been to Mexico before that went. We just went. But in that, God began to speak. And now I've led, and Jan and I together have led probably, I'm going to guess, 35 to 40 mission trips somewhere. From Australia to Armenia to Canada to Mexico to L.A. to New York City and all kind of places in between. I didn't know. But I exposed myself places and potential some of you need to get a little bit out of your comfort zone some of you I want to thank you right now some of you right now have been helping our youth our students on Wednesday night just showing up uh, by the way I just want to let you know that but, but let me say this to you that's dangerous <laughs> just from my own experience I don't mean the kids are dangerous I mean what God may call you to is dangerous that's okay, isn't it? It's okay. You expose yourself. Second thing is, Jesus says, it says, it says here, Jesus, when he saw the crowds, when he saw the crowds. Now, many of us see crowds. Jesus saw the crowds. That's a whole different deal. He looked into their faces. He saw the healing. That he saw they were sheep without a shepherd. He saw what was going on in their lives. He saw those things. He wasn't just seeing them. He saw them. Now think about uh, uh, Josh and, uh, and Jason here in our church are big soccer guys. When I watch a soccer game, I'm pretty limited on what I see. I see a big field, and I only see if somebody scores. Other than that, I'm bored. I'm just going to tell you, I'm pretty bored. 
Because I don't know enough about it to go, that's really good right there. That they're really doing a good job right there. What they're how they're I don't know enough about it. You let me watch a basketball game, you let me watch a baseball game, and to some degree football, I love football. I can tell you what I I can tell you things that I see. Not just seeing a ball game, but I saw the ball game. Jesus went. You got to go, got to expose yourself. And he saw the people. But he saw them where they were. So much about being a great goer and doer and worker in the harvest for the kingdom is about seeing. You need great eyesight. You need to ask for great eyesight. We tell the teens over and over, get your head up and ask for the eyes of Christ. Keep your head up. And that's way before cell phones. I'd have had to sit it like, I'd have been screaming it probably at that point. I never had to scream it. Get your head up and ask for the eyes of Christ. See what's going on around you. Respond to it. I had leaders in our youth group would have 150 sometimes 200 kids in the youth group and there were certain leaders we had that we had poured into and all you had to do is walk by them and go get your head up they knew immediately when you said that they knew immediately and it wasn't the fact their head was down physically but they were not paying attention immediately what they knew was pay attention what's around you there's something going on I'm not going to tell you what it is there's something right now you need to be paying attention to that you need to respond to I'm trying to teach them leadership in that moment, but most of all, not just leadership, but spiritual eyes to see, to see. If you had no talent, you go, that's me. Let me finish the statement. If you had no talent, experience, or money issues, and no time constraint, how would you want to make a difference? What is there in this broken world, if you don't think there's not enough out there to put your life to, in this broken world we live in, if you had no talent or gifts issues, in other words, you could have whatever you could have wanted, or you had no time constraints or no money constraints, none of that, what would you want to be making a difference in? There's plenty to choose from. But God tends to only work his way in there and really be clear with us when we ask. To ask God to lead my life. Lord, lead my life today. Lord, lead me this day. Are you listening to the small promptings throughout the day? Are you willing to be inconvenienced? Lord, give me eyes to see your harvest. And the heart and the faith to do something about it. Lord, lead me. I'm convinced that mercy
is that stamp of the divine nature that's on us. Then those moments where we do the best for others regardless, regardless of the time and the cost and the inconvenience to us. Man alive. When it's in full tilt, you will not live a bored life. You may be praying for boredom. Ask God for compassion. Compassion to me is the disposition or the posture, if you will, of mercy and justice in my life. I love this definition. Compassion is to be affected deeply in one's inner being, especially in the aspect characterized by sympathy and compassion. It literally means to be affected in the bowels. You're moved to alleviate or make a difference in someone else's life. Some of us need spiritual bowel movements, right? Yeah, I did say it out loud. I thought it. Started to check it. Didn't. (laughs) Said it. Something so deep, so stirring, that you're willing to make the difference in your own life. If you, have a, if you have a family member who has a significant problem in something with addiction or something on that line and it doesn't bother you but it bothers them, you may be willing to give it up for the betterment of them. It's a huge thing. And you don't have to go out there looking everywhere else. Most of the time we've got ways we can begin to show mercy and compassion right in our own family. Right in our own friend group. That's, where it's, that's often where it starts. Could be in your own children. But you're willing to give up something for the betterment of them. Well, of course you have the right not to do it. It's my right to do this. Let me say this about rights versus righteousness. There is a lot of things you have rights to do. As a matter of fact, the government may give you rights to do that don't line up with God's righteousness. We like to throw the rights thing around from one end of the political spectrum to the other. But the question really becomes, does it line up with God's righteousness? That's really the only thing you have a right to? One of the things out of compassion and the posture is, that it is, is the fruit of the Spirit begins to be so evident in our lives and so real and so clear in our lives that we just can't, back to the word compelled, we, we, we have to do it. We have to act this way. We have to show mercy and justice. We have to do that. One, one of the, it's often translated as patience, but one of the fruits of the Spirit, fruit of, a traits of the fruit of the Spirit is forbearance is if I give up my right to be right, 
I have every right to call in that debt, but I give up my right to call that debt in for the good of you. Work on that one. I'll tell you this, without mercy, grace, and justice, the trait of forbearance will not be evident very much at all. The opposite side of that in some ways, not the opposite, but the other side of the coin, not the opposite, but the other side of the coin with that, is if I I give up my right to be uninvolved. I give up my right to be uninformed. I don't want to be informed. Oh, I give up my right to be uninformed because I need to be informed. I give up my right for comfort for the good of others. I deserve comfort. I've worked hard for comfort. I've got all these things for comfort, but I give up that right for the good of others. Micah 6.8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Robert Lupton, I don't have that up on the screen, I should have, it's my bad on this, but He said, mercy is compassion or kindness or forgiveness shown especially to someone a person has power over. Especially then. And fairness is or reasonableness, especially in the way people are treated or decisions are made. But he goes on to say that working together, they are powerful and holistic, but apart, they are destructive that mercy without justice degenerates into dependency and entitlement, preserving the power of the giver over the recipient. Justice without mercy grows cold and impersonal, for you're more concerned about rights than relationships. Does this sound familiar in our dysfunctional culture? It's got to be both. And I'm going to tell you, I believe with all my heart, you can't walk them both out. without an infilling of the Holy Spirit. Your people can show them. They're philanthropists who do great things. They'll never have grace the way we, we, we describe it. Ever. Glad they're doing good work. I'm not against them doing good work. I'm glad they're putting their money there. But there is a difference when it's anointed. things I'd say we need to do is create margin we got to create margin in our time and our gifts and our graces everything if you really want to live this out fully begin to push everything to the middle of the table and say okay God this is yours every bit of this my time talent treasure all this is yours what do you want to do with it give me space I don't have Richard Swenson's uh, 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 definition up there about margin but basically what he's saying is margin 
It's not stopping doing stuff, but creating the space where the things that matter most in your life can happen. What matters most in your life, and you need to create the space for them things to be, those things to be able to happen. That's margin, to give that space, to give that time. Another one, I'd say be informed, but I would say this, really informed. If I was giving you a title, be informed, really informed. This day and age, we get informed enough to be dangerous. Get really informed about something. Matter of fact, one of the things, just talking to someone recently about what's happening in the zone. If you know where the zone is in the city of Phoenix, in downtown Phoenix, just west of downtown, if you know what's going on there right now, people go down there and they've done it for years to try to hand out sandwiches. It's where most of the homeless are now congregating. It's a mass, now it's become this massive city down there, but, but it's where homeless, what people like to do, they go down there and they hand out sandwiches and bottles of water and all this kind of stuff because you know why? It makes them feel better, which I'm not saying is wrong sometimes, but it causes more problem for the organizations that are trying to work there. Way more problems. All I'm saying is be really informed. Doesn't mean you don't start something small, but I will say this, then educate yourself on what God is directing you on. Expose yourself, yes. Educate, be informed. Ask people who are already doing it. Because sometimes we can do more harm than good and with the intent of trying to do good. So get yourself informed. Whatever God's laying on your heart, begin to educate yourself. There are times, there are things God puts on your heart and you wish you were not informed about. By, by the way, I just, we just led as a church through the pandemic. There were things I wished I didn't have to know about. But one thing we were sure of was trying to stay informed because we knew we had to. I'm telling you, this is something you really want to go do because God's compelling you to go do that. Stay informed. Scripture says he sent them out. Well, he said, send, send them. He wants to send them out. The problem is, often we don't want to go, right? Back to what I said to some of you working in youth ministry right now, but in different ways, in different places. The one thing I can say as a personal testimony, our family can so when you begin to pray this prayer, it may change everything about your life. It may change your lifestyle. It may change, it'll sure change your priorities. It very well may change your location. It may change all that. Most times it won't change all that. But he will always ask, I believe, for your time and your talent and your treasure. But for some of you, it's going to change the trajectory of your life. It's going to make you do irrational things for the kingdom. I cannot imagine looking back now, not making the decisions we made. And I think all four of our children would say, yeah, did we, it was a little sketchy at times in there? And, and uh, did we take them to places later? We're going, why did we take our kids there? Because of the situation? 
but there's no regrets. It'll make you do irrational things. Some of you, it may be a passion to save lives. It very well may direct your career. Hear me. It may very well may go, okay, I was exposed to that. I don't want that on my watch. I don't want that to happen. I'm dedicating my career. I know students who've been exposed <clears throat> to special needs, who've dedicated their whole high school and college and their career to that, but they got, it, they got blown up in the ninth, 10th grade. You know what we used to tell teenagers? A little graphic, but not much more than the Compassion description a while ago, probably. This is what we'd tell teenagers. We're going to have you long enough, and we're going to do things enough that we hope somewhere along the way, God splits your chest wide open, reaches in and grabs your heart, and says to you, you're not getting it back till you follow after what I'm calling you to do. God's got your heart. You'll never be satisfied until you follow what he's calling you to do. David Platt says this, though, because Jesus says, pray for the harvest, right? Ask the Lord of the harvest. Ask the Lord of the harvest. David Platt says, I would have expected Jesus to say, you guys see the need, the harvest is plentiful, so pray for these people who are harassed and helpless. Pray for them. But that isn't what he said. Jesus didn't say pray for those who are lost. Instead, he, he told the disciples to pray for the church. Why do you think Jesus would look at the crowds around him with all the deep needs and, and then turn to his disciples and tell them to pray for themselves? The answer is humbling. When Jesus looked at the harvest and helpless multitudes, apparently his concern was not that the lost would come, that was not that the lost would come to the Father. Instead, his concern was that his followers would not go to the lost. Ephesians 5, 8, and 9. Where at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the world. Walk as children of light. What I love here, Paul says, he's not saying not only were we in darkness, we were darkness. That's how much Christ has done in your life. You weren't just in darkness. You were darkness. Walk as children of light. It's a great adventure. There's nothing like it. When you begin to pray this prayer, God, what is it in this broken world, including me, and I'm in it, I'm in the group, what is it in this broken world that you see enough in me. And I commit to you that if you expose me, you show me, I'll begin to get informed. I'll begin to know more. I'll begin to walk that way. I'll begin to put everything on the table. But Lord, what do you see in me that you think I can make a difference in? Lord, give me your eyes to see. 
We believe God's church is his ongoing presence in this world. And we should be open to having the eyes to see whatever's breaking his heart or makes him angry. And he brings us together as a group, individually, yes, but as a group, to make a difference in. Some of you are going to have some defining moments that used to pass by as you walked along your day. You begin to pray this, just convinced. He'll start tugging on your heart. You never know. This is how I believe it becomes corporate so quickly. As we begin to have conversations about what God's tugging on your heart, and tugging on your heart, and tugging on your heart, and we may find out we have a bunch of people. And then we find out, wow, we can start something big. Yes, individually, yes. But something big to impact the kingdom. Amen. I'm going to ask the band to come up as we move now in the time of communion this morning. Here for the first time, let me give you a little logistical about this and I'm going to pray for us. Again, as I said, remind us, we were darkness. Christ came, changed everything. Just changed everything. And our thankfulness, our thankfulness for this It's times we come together as a community like we are today. And scripture says to remember. Lord, we weren't just in darkness. We were darkness. Because of what you did on the cross and the resurrection, the ascension and the sending of the Holy Spirit, but especially on the cross. We're changed. But we're not changed just for our sake. And thank you for that. We're changed for everybody we come in contact with. That we are light. Thank you for calling us. Thank you for believing in us. Thank you for calling us friend. Would you stand with us? And again, logistically, let me finish that. I started and didn't finish it. If you want to participate today, you're sure not forced to. At Church of the Nazarene, we practice open communion. You don't have to be a member of this church. If you're a believer in Christ, all are welcome. These communion cups are elements that have got a bread on one side, juice on the other. What we'll ask you to do is just pick them up here, take it back to your, to your seat, and partake of it there when you feel led to do that. As we sing here in just a minute. If you would, come down these aisles here. If you're on this side, everybody come this direction. Return back here. Same over here. Those are logistical things. But then there's logistical things as we posture ourselves to come to this time. I just want to give you a minute just to the scripture tells us to examine ourselves. Yes, as we remember the blood and the bread 
body. Sacrifice. Just take a moment before I pray. Reflect personally. Father, we come before for our folks for you today. Remembering and thankful. Lord, you have given us a mission. You didn't just save us to get us to heaven. You saved us to go and get to heaven. You saved us to live life to the full where people around us see the fragrance and aroma of what can be. And Lord, I'm convinced it's what they hope it can be. Lord, first let us start in our homes or in our friend group, our workplace or school or wherever it is we hang out. bring mercy and justice and let us see with your eyes sense with your heart Lord help us now as we partake of these elements remember what you have done for us we pray this in your name Jesus you come as you feel led
exhausted and overscheduled. Lord, I pray this week you give us energy and eyesight and margin to be inconvenienced not by other people but by you. And Lord, we take that prompting Not as a duty, but as a great hope of what you see in us to help move your kingdom forward. Thank you, Lord, for believing in us. Thank you for us being your plan. Help us, Lord, to live it out. We pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We'll have an uncommon week in his name. God bless you. Love you guys. Thank you. Yeah.